Welcome to the Basecamp Community Endurance Coaching Podcast, hosted by head coach Tim Cusick and me, Namrita Brooke. We discuss timely topics related to training and nutrition strategies that you can apply to get the most out of your season. Check out Basecamp's coaching, community training programs, and cycling camps over at joinbasecamp.com. And if you like what you hear, follow us at the Basecamp Community Podcast wherever you listen, leave a five-star review, and subscribe. I am Namrita Brooke, base camp coach and sports nutritionist. I've been coaching for over 10 years. I have a PhD in applied exercise physiology and a master's in sports nutrition. My name is Tim Cusick. I'm also head coach here at base camp. Uh, I've been coaching for over 18 years. I've had the luxury of working with world champions, Olympians, national champions, and have been blessed to be at the very pointy end of the sport um, and excited to jump into today's topic and podcast. Yeah, um, today's awesome because it's actually the first of our episodes where we have a guest and it's very fitting because our first guest is a very experienced podcaster. Um, he actually, he should probably be leading this today, uh, <laughs> but welcome Nakam Brody. Um, all of you, I'm sure recognize his name and his face. Um, he is a huge um, contributor to the Basecamp coaching team from the strength training perspective. So I'm actually, Menachem, because you're so good at this, I'm going to let you introduce yourself today. <laughs> uh, well, in short, I'm the the strength guy, I guess you'd say, at base camp. Uh, I actually have a, a bachelor's in exercise uh, physiology as well as some experience in the field. Um, but I've been doing strength training pretty much for about 23 years with the last uh, 19 years, sorry, 21 years, excuse me, uh, actually coaching folks. Um, the last 16 years, I've been working as a cycling coach and triathlon coach, more focused on the cycling. Uh, so I kind of wear a couple different hats, uh, as well as even bike fitter. I don't like advertising that because then <laughs> I don't like sitting in a room on a trainer. I like uh, doing stuff that's going to help folks. But uh, that is the long and short of it is uh, I can look at all the pieces and kind of put them together to help you be, well, the best you. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for being here. And um, something I want to add you kind of specialize in this over 50 um, audience, correct? Um, I think your your podcast is actually geared towards this audience. So I think it's perfect to have you here today because we're defining, or today we're redefining winning when you're an aging athlete. Um, what age does that mean? I don't know. I mean, anything, you know, we get older and we see things happen in our bodies and um, it affects our training and our recovery and our performance. I think in our forties and fifties, um, but we have such a variety of athletes and ages in base camp and, you know, even just getting into the sport at an older age now. So, so today we're going to talk about some of your questions, um, you know, give some learning and some, some tips on how to navigate the aging process as a, as a cyclist. Um, yeah. So Tim, I think you have a great story to, to kick this off today. No, thanks. It's so funny because of some of my particular experiences, I get asked this question a lot, like, how do I stay fit and fast over 40, over 50, over 60, whatever. And I, I, something happened this year that gives me a different approach, how I always like to now start this conversation. So here's a little story. We're in sunny Mallorca at Base Camp Live in Mallorca. We're there with, I don't know, 40 other base camps, campers enjoying every day out in the sun, riding our bike between 50 and 100 miles, 50 and 100 miles, I don't know, seven, 8,000 feet of climbing each day, coming back 
having some great social fun out by the pool and hanging out at the bar and talking about biking, right? You ride all day and then you be a bike dork and talk about cycling when you're done. Um, and going to great meals and eating together and being social. And it was an amazing experience. And then I like, I think the fourth night we have some education programs We go into the education program and I'm talking about training and some things like that. And this athlete who I know reasonably well in the base camp world, 60 plus, let's just say, raises her hand and asks me, Tim, you know, it's, it's just get, it's, it's hard to be an aging athlete, you know, have some decline. I, I really need to know what are the tips? What are the secrets? How do I just keep getting better? And it really struck me at that moment as I'm literally looking out over, like she's in the audience, I'm looking out at this beautiful palm tree, water, you know, background. And I'm like, my answer was, you're doing it. Like you are doing it. You're here on a great trip, revitalizing your soul, right? You are social, you're part of community, you're interacting, smiling, laughing with friends while you're riding your bike about 400 miles this week, doing about 20,000 feet plus of climbing, 30,000 feet of climbing and just staying fit. And it really struck me, we had an audience in the room, about 25 people who were immediately like, when it came up, like, yeah, I need to know that too. Everybody who's listening to this podcast, start out this podcast with one thing, give yourself credit right now. If you're listening to our podcast, if you're part of Basecamp, if you're doing these things and you're 40 plus, and I don't care if that's 41 or 81, you are already doing the things, not all of them, and there's always room for improvement, but give yourself credit for doing so much already to maintain the lifestyle that you want, that you enjoy in the healthiest manner that you can. So I always want to kick off now that, you know, cause it's always like, Oh, how can I get better? It's like, step one, give yourself credit for what you're doing. That might be the first step to really improving your performance because you're not starting from zero. You have a basis of really some excellent health and, and lifestyle and approach towards aging. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Perspective in so many things is key. And especially here, I mean, you think about how many younger people in the world cannot do what, you know, this athlete is doing and so many, you know, base campers are doing. So, so that's a really um, great way to kick things off. And, you know, as we talk about some of the research and, you know, how to apply it, I think that's going to come out as well because it's not, um, you know, it's very, you can read headlines anywhere. You can read it in the media. You can, you know, read abstracts and, if you are just looking up like aging an athlete, it's like not, it doesn't seem like a good story. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like we have anything to look forward to, but um, like you say, and the reality is, you know, it's, it's not like that. And you have to um, put on your, you know, rose colored sunglasses and look at things with a different perspective um, and give yourself credit. That's totally right. So what's happening um, as we get older, it, again, you know, you can, you can Google it, you can talk to your doctor, you can read research papers. There are some things that are obviously changing as we get older. And from a physiological perspective, many of them are related to a decrease in VO2 max. So what is VO2 max? It is the maximal aerobic capacity. So it's the, it's the most oxygen we can take in and utilize to produce energy. But 
if we really think about that, I mean, how often are we truly exercising at our maximal aerobic capacity? I, I don't think that often. <laughs> um, part of it is also related to, you know, we have a decline in, in muscle mass. And so um, when we have a decline in muscle mass, we're able to, you know, the tissue is not utilizing as much oxygen. And so we can't produce as much energy peripherally. Um, we have reduction in, you know, enzymes and processes that are happening within our tissue. Um, we have increase in peripheral resistance. So changes in our, um, vascular structure. So all of these things are happening as we get older, but, but the good news is, is all these things that you're doing, Tim, that you mentioned the, um, you know, the getting outside and, and just moving, quite simply eating well and and sleeping all of these things have a positive effect so when we look at um you know the the doom and gloom side of aging what we're not looking at or what we're not always thinking about is the counter counter to that you know the things that we can do to avoid that are already things that we're doing right yeah you know and let's add it and we were having a good conversation this before we got on we should have recorded it um I'm going to put a caveat here. When you see all the research that makes headlines and these headlines are like, you're going to decline X amount. You're going to lose this number. You're going to be whatever. Most like a very high percentage, 90 to 95% of all the research on there is cross-reference. So they're looking at a bunch of athletes in their twenties and then a bunch of athletes in their thirties and then a bunch of athletes in their fifties, sixties, you get it, but they're not necessarily the same athletes. And they're making assumptions of connecting that data in certain ways. And they're coming up with generalizations, which physiologically, they're true. We're going to get older. Things are going to happen. Now you're starting to see better studies come into place where we're looking at athletes from when the same athlete from when they're 20 until they're 70 and being able to understand their lifestyle. How uh, active did they stay? What type of training regimes were they doing? And we see a significant reduction in the decline in the training athlete. And I use the word training very specifically, some type of purposeful exercise program. So there is a lot of hope. And this goes back to my point, you're doing it right. You're already doing a certain amount of things. You're already performing much better than the average person. So start with that, like you know, give yourself a little pat in the back. But the studies are now, we're starting to look at the real process more and more and the positive impacts of having some type of a set exercise program throughout your life. Mm. So Tim, um, you know, speaking of doing it right and, and training to my point about VO2 max. So when you're writing a training program for um, a base camp athlete, you know, or an older athlete, how are you taking into account when you're building the aerobic engine, let's say um, the fact that somebody might have, you know, a uh, somewhat lower VO2 max than they did 20 years ago. And maybe they've been, you know, this is their 40th year of riding a bike. So how do you take that into account when you're training someone? Well, from a VO2 max, so, okay, I don't. Well, now we can get into a good discussion, right? I really don't. There are the factors that are both impacted and related to that decline which become a tactical solution towards improvement, 
But the reality is I don't assume it and I don't deny it. If you understand what I mean by that, it's like, okay, I know the older athlete has some additional limitations, but I don't see the marker. VO2 max is a physiological status, right? And it's not, it, it doesn't tell me that much when it comes to training. It's not dictating my training that much. I would look at other things that might've been impacted by that VO2 max more as my first driver of definition, which I know we'll get into here and some of the impacts. I have things as an athlete ages that I want to consider more tactical processes of putting that together, but it's not so related to VO2 max, even though one of the things I hope is their VO2 max goes up. So part of, you know, the decrease and, and the decline in VO2 max, like we discussed, um, and really just, you know, with aging, you can't deny that there's a loss of muscle mass. Um, Menachem, what, what do you have to add as far as like introducing this whole idea of the aging athlete and loss in muscular mass and function maybe? Well, there's, there's a lot to it actually. And this is where I think to Tim's point about the research and we talked about before we hit record here is that, um, they're not considering the athlete through the lifetime. And we all go through these natural ebbs and flows, right? So family, work, things pick up and change. And what that does is it affects the stresses and we each are going to internalize and change stress or, or deal with stress in a different way. And that's something that I think a lot of people discount because it's hard to research. You can't really, you know, how's your life stress going? Give me a scale of one to three. Everybody will internalize it differently. Now, how that affects uh, VO2 max in particular and performance and, and muscle mass is you now have... Uh, a, a much less advantageous internal environment. So it makes everything harder. And that's one of the things that I, I think that as science and the technologies to measure these things, get into the nanometer type of measurements for what they can do with the folks, meaning you're actually, your wearable is now inside your bloodstream and going through and measuring acidic levels will have a better picture of what is actually happening with VO2 max. Now, I know that's a little bit science fiction-y, but the reason this is important is that fitness as a whole actually has four pillars to it, cardiorespiratory, hormonal, neuromuscular, and metabolic, right? So we do a really good job in our sport of uh, cycling and triathlon of looking at the meta metabolic and cardiorespiratory, but the hormonal and especially the neuromuscular side kind of get hit where we don't train them as much as we could. And this is where you mentioned before, as the muscle mass goes down, we don't, we aren't as efficient or effective at producing that energy at the limbs. Uh, part of that is not just the neuromuscular response, but also how the hormones are interacting in the body. So to kind of paint it a, a little bit of an easier picture, we're trying to, to sit on what should be a four-legged stool that only has two. So that decrease in VO2 max there's a lot of things. There's two major things that you haven't been training that just when you start with that, you can see a huge increase just by being more purposeful in your training with strength and how you're, you're planning and where you're planning those strength, uh, sessions throughout your training week. You know, you make a great point, Menachem. I would just add, you know, VO2 max, this idea of VO2 max decline is, and I think you said this so well, it is the interaction of those four elements of fitness and conditioning that lead to elite performance. You will never perform well. You won't have get the best out of you unless you align those interactively. You can't pull one or two of the legs off and be like, hey, I'm going to be just as good. It simply doesn't work. 
But when you start thinking about VO2 max, like what's happening when we get older, and I think people misunderstand that, like, oh, it is a cardiorespiratory event. My VO2, your VO2 max starting around 40 declines about, the research says it declines about 10% a decade. Your maximal heart rate goes down about one beat per minute per year. That's what the research says. Now, some of the newer research where we're tracking consistently exercising athletes are showing half as much of that, maybe even less if they're doing it well, significantly slowing that decline. But the reality is we are getting older. Those two elements decline. And that's what so many athletes put in focus as I get older. I've got to keep, we think fitness and cardiovascular, and we just relate those two like we lock them together and that's what it is. One of the main drivers of your VO2 max decline, and I'm sure you're going to get into this, is the loss of muscle mass. And it's actually the transition of lean muscle and increase in fat, sorry, got to put it out there, that has one of the biggest impacts on your change in VO2 max as you age. It's not the only, it is definitely multifaceted. Your heart rate contraction, you, you lose some elasticity, oversimplified in your heart, your stroke volume, it actually fills up a little slower which is what's slowing things down. So it's not quite as effective, but that's just a matter of getting the oxygen into the system, the muscle mass impact on getting the, getting it out. And it's huge. And I'm just going to put a, a number to it for a second to give you an idea. And I hate putting this out here because I don't want everybody's going to run away and diet. I'm sure Nuri is going to straighten that out later. So that everybody doesn't diet. You should have good uh, uh, nutrition, but not be careful dieting. For every 5% decrease in body fat, you have about a 2 to 3% increase in VO2 max. See, fat takes oxygen but does nothing to propel the bike forward or, or help you run forward. Right? It has no stimulant that way. It just takes up oxygen, oversimplification again. So I think that, you know those two coming together and working together, and in there, there's a lot of hormone, a lot of development, how we build, how we respond to exercise, everything else going on, other big factors. Now I'll shut up for a little bit. Sorry, I just, it would use such a great I'm about to get a bunch of emails now and how, you know, for people Tim asking. Tim said to stop oh, eating. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, you know, from, from that standpoint, yeah, so, we're seeing a decrease in muscle mass. You may see an increase in body fat and we, you know, we can talk about that later, but the, you know, sarcopenia is more, it starts when you're in your thirties, but it starts to be more evident in your fifties. You see a decline in resting metabolic rate. So that can contribute to, you know, everything you just said. We also see an increase in the in, intermuscular adipose. So fat deposited in the muscle, which can make, you know, energy production again, a little bit less efficient. Um, and then there's this idea of anabolic resistance, which we've probably all heard of, but, you know, simply put your, when you eat protein, for example, after exercise, your body will, um, avoid muscle protein breakdown and increase muscle protein synthesis. But as we get older, we might be more resistant to that. So maybe it takes more protein or maybe it takes better timing, but again, you know, to your point about the research, yeah, research will say there's anabolic resistance, but then they're like, oh, wait a minute. When we examine masters athletes who have been training and competing since they were 15 or 20 years old, we don't see that. So they still are able to respond to the dose of 20 grams of whey protein. Whereas, you know, maybe other masters athletes are not responding to that and they might need 35 to 40 grams of whey protein 
after after training to see the same signaling responses and muscle protein synthesis. So um, there's a lot of nuance here and, you know, your training history is, is important. Um, your historical amount of, you know, muscle mass and the amount of strength training, I would think that you've done over the years, your bone mass, you know, your body fat percentage. Um, so everything's kind of all relative to you, your phenotype, I think, and, you know, your training history. Um, so I, yeah, go ahead. So I, I want to come back to a second for fat with what Tim was talking about for a minute, because there, there's, there's so much more, maybe this isn't the rabbit hole we go down today and that's totally fine. Um, one of the things that I worked in a bariatric clinic, it was an ASMBS center of excellence. So some of the best surgeons in the country, um, I, I learned a lot from them while I was there. And I think one of the things that we as endurance athletes are missing is that depending on the type of fat that you have, it can be advantageous to have some fat. So specifically brown and beige fat. So when we talk about increasing the hormonal kickstand of that, or, or part of the stool, uh, part of that is having those healthy fats. So the intramuscular fat and the, the um, visceral fat that you have is the negative, but having brown fat uh, and beige fat in particular can really help balance the hormonal side of things. Cause I've seen a lot of cyclists as they get older, uh, specifically cyclists and actually triathletes. Now that I think about our worse, they want to be as lean as possible. And it's been my experience thus far. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just a small uh, dosage, but those who are carrying, let's say between 10 and 13% and body fat, for males and between uh, 21 and 24 for female, 21 and 25 for female tend to one, recover faster and two, have better results because the hormonal balance in the body is better uh, regulated than trying to get as lean as possible. Um, now, maybe I'm wrong, but I just wanted to interject that here because as we're talking about muscle mass, a lot of us think, well, we want to change body composition, right? That is important, but if you're changing the body composition and keeping a healthy fat percentage, you can actually see the fat percentage stays the same. You look better, you respond better to training. And part of that is you've burned visceral fat and you're now able that you've converted essentially brown fat to beige fat, which has a huge beneficial result for the body as a whole. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good point. I totally. Mean, um, go ahead, that's Tim. my target. Like it's, as we know, as we get older, it's very hard to lean out. Like your body is shifted. It's just a natural thing that you're working against. I think your targets are, are, are dead on. Like as a, as a 57 year old athlete, that kind of 10% to 15%, I have a little broader number. That's where I want to be in. I am way better when I'm in that range. Um, five pounds heavier driven by that. You know, I could be heavier if I'm driving it by muscle mass, but the reality is I think that's an excellent balancing point and a great target. Something I think people also confuse, you know, with the whole, you know, change in body fat percentage, maybe, and, you know, they're, they're thinking that um, they're gaining body fat because they're oxidizing less fat as they get older. So yeah, it's true. There's a, you know, some loss in, again, muscle fibers, there's some change in muscle fibers and how we produce energy. We're maybe a little bit less, um, efficient at, you know, so we're not, maybe it's due to decrease in mitochondrial function. Maybe it's due to a decrease in oxygen delivery or, you know, any of the above that makes us utilize more 
carbohydrate to produce energy at the same relative intensity if we don't do anything to counteract that. So that's the key. I think as you know, we think about how we're going to change our training as we age, we can do things to, to actually build more mitochondria and to, you know, get back that efficiency and energy production and to, you know, improve fat oxidation. So, you know, body fat and decrease in fat oxidation are not truly related. I think they're, you know, they both have the word fat in them, but they're not <laughs> otherwise really different. <laughs> yeah. And most people um, don't know that they just see fat but, as bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take that into, you know, again, how we are training Tim. Um, when you're programming intensity, let's, let's talk about, you know, the fact that I think I hear this a lot on podcasts too. So as we get older, you know, people are always so preoccupied with, I'm getting older. Now I need to do a bunch of high intensity training, but now we're talking also about, okay, if we want to counter the decrease in, you know, aerobic efficiency, we want to do more endurance training to, you know, Im improve our mitochondrial content, let's say, and improve our blood flow. So that's endurance training. So, so how are you reconciling that with training an older athlete? Great question. Um, and, and I'm going to get, end up with some assists here from Menachem too, because here's my first answer for anybody 40 or and over, and it's never exactly 40, but you get the point. My question number one is, are you strength training? So before I prescribe a high intensity training, I want to understand their past regular, their past on the bike training or running training. And I want to then assess that against their strength training, what they've done historically and what they plan to go forward. Here's why. And I want to make sure we have the right balance of those two, because there are similar but different impacts. But there is, and I'm going to overgeneralize here and people are going to shoot me and everybody's going to get more emails. There is the same cost. So one of the things that happens as we get older that we all know, but don't always solve the mystery of working within because this big thing on your shoulders gets in the way, you think too much about it. And sometimes your ego is a problem is your recovery rate to exercise stimuli slows and you don't adapt quite as well. You have enzyme changes, things are going on. So you hear that all the time is you need to rest more. Well, maybe, and yes, is my answer. You do, but you also need to be much better at recovery. You need to be better at nutrition, sleep. If you do those other elements well, you can do pretty well. So when we're looking at that slower adaptation rate, it increases the cost, particularly of high intensity training. So I'm lifting and, and, or, or strength resistance or functional strength work that has a cost and I'm doing high intensity training days that have a cost, I wanna limit those. And I wanna put a hard cap with the athlete based on their training history. And still, I don't like to go, if you're 50 plus, maybe you know something in there, no more than two hard days a week. And I always, I think about it this way in my brain, high intensity stimuli, tail. High intensity stimuli, tail. Cause that doesn't mean you just do a hard Tuesday and then rest. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or something. I want that high intensity stimuli, then the maximum amount of lower intensity stimuli that still allows the athlete to recover from that high intensity load. High intensity stimuli has a bigger impact on the body because it requires more recovery. It has, you know, other events, other things, other, other uh, physiological responses that it's setting off in your body that lower intensity zone two riding might not have the impact of but 
if you ask me, would you do one extra day of high intensity training and, and give up strength training? No, I've answered that question a thousand times. If you're 40 plus strength train in one form or another, you know, we have an expert here who could take you further down what's right and what's wrong, but you should have strength training part of your performance on the bike training. It's not just about fighting age. It's not, you will perform better in the presence of a well-guided strength training program, some high intensity and some good structured training. Okay, Menachem, fill in there because the two are so closely related. So I want to hear your perspective. So there's a few different pieces to it. One is, uh, and this is something that that the science hasn't caught up to, and I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting or excitedly awaiting for it to catch up. And that is when you do a strength training for performance program, you can actually help drive the adaptations from those high intensity sessions, right? So when you're getting a, a strength training where you're focused on uh, breathing, posture and how you're producing the movement, the, the intensity for the session is self-driven, right? It's not so much about how much weight you're putting on the bar. It's what are you paying attention to and what are you trying to get out of the exercise? So for a number of the master's athletes that I've worked with over specifically the last 12 years, uh, adding the breath work to their workouts has helped. I've seen a decrease in the time needed to recover and adapt to their higher intensity sessions. And a lot of that I attribute to the fact that they are getting fuller, more regular breathing out of their strength training. So even though we're driving it there, uh, it's helping, but also when they get on the bike by breathing well, they're getting their core and everything between the neck, elbows and knees has to be aligned where they're actually becoming more efficient and effective at maintaining stability and, and, and stiffness. So they're seeing less detrimental effect on their tissues. So the ligaments, uh, the cartilaginous uh, parts of the body where they're not putting as much strain, which means the body doesn't have to spend as much energy coming back to repair that. So when we're getting into high intensity, if we look at strength training, instead of squat till I can't walk down the stairs tomorrow, and instead <laughs> saying, you know, how do we get your, your hips in better position? How do we get you to be able to manage the stresses of this better? That tends to allow for better hormone regulation a little bit later because we're able to maintain an ideal posture. So they're not getting like, as soon as you change your posture, you can change your internal uh, hormonal balance. You can go from a great feeling great to feeling crappy just by sitting a certain way for an hour or two. And I think all of us have done that in front of the TV with Netflix, at least a couple of times in our lives. Um, but the second part is, is when you're doing the strength training, you're also activating a number of satellite cells. And these are there, they kind of take the, the signals you give them. Uh, when we're doing a highly repetitive sport, the body tries to do the same amount of work more efficiently. So it goes the path of least resistance. When you're doing strength training for performance, you're training those postures positions, which is allowing the muscles to be put into ideal positions because joint position dictates muscle function, which means now you're activating essentially the satellite cells, which are going to allow structural growth uh, or excuse me, muscular growth to help better hold you in those uh, positions, which again, more effective, more efficient. So have we increased your VO2 through strength training? Yes, but not in the way most people think of it. So for instance, I have a late fifties mountain bike racer. He's done this small mountain bike race called Leadville nine times. This will be his 10th year. He's constantly finished in the, the top 15. Uh, and just this, this uh, in three months together with strength and on bike, uh, we managed to paint a whole bunch of top 10 PRs for him. Uh, so not necessarily PR. This wasn't even his peak race. He still has eight weeks. We increased his five minute, which is a VO2 max. Uh, from 233 to 281 watts. 
in three in three months. Uh, his 10 minute, which technically could be FTP or VO2, depending on where you sign, 223 to 261. That was his sixth and fourth all-time best power ever. And here he is, he's 59 and a half. And this is just through strength training. And by the way, this is someone who did strength training for years. He's actually a, a trainer as well. Very smart individual, really gets it. Um, but just by changing the focus to postures, positions, and breathing, I mean, we're talking about huge gains in VO2 max, and that's just from efficiency. I wouldn't, we haven't even touched the VO2 max energy systems. Uh, I could keep going down that rabbit hole, but I think it's better. You guys give me some guardrails because I have two shoots we can go down depending. I think that's yeah, a good no. summary, but I was wondering, I wanted to ask Namrita. So as we're talking about that intensity question in aging, what about like one of the things I said that I just like, we need to just like do a course or, or I don't know, go to every base camper's house and teach them. <laughs> How do they get better? I mean, is there, we limit some intensity. We have this idea of strength training in the mix. What is changing though? What's the, the nutrition part of that? Like to me, I have to teach athletes some older athletes. Like you gotta be good at recovery. It's so worth investing in that because you need to fight that slower response. Are there tips or elements of it during, you know, in response that you might have? Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to say like one anecdotal thing on one Menachem just said, I, you know, when, when people think, okay, I'm getting older now, I need to do a bunch of high intensity training and high intensity strength and, you know, lifting, lifting a lot of heavy weight, like really hard and really fast to stimulate, you know, the, the big, the big motor units or, you know, to gain more muscle fibers to offset, you know, my decrease in high intensity abilities or, you know, resting metabolic rate. I feel like, the, you know, a lot of people are kind of disappointed when they're like, oh, I have to work on breathing now. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. This is like counter to everything else I'm hear, like, hearing in popular media. But I will say like, as I've gotten older, you know, I always skip the breathing days or I used to, and I still sometimes do, but I can absolutely notice when I get back to training, like when it's time to do a harder workout, I can tell what what happens and how much worse I feel when I've skipped the breathing days. I just like, I feel more stiff. I feel more like I have to warm up for a lot longer. Um, like it just doesn't, the workout doesn't flow as well. So I think what's key here is the integration of the two. So, you know, changing your perspective on the strength work strength, you know, training is such a broad term, but you know, like focusing on the things that you just mentioned allows you to get the most out of the high intensity sessions that Tim was just talking about prescribing two days a week. It allows you to go hard and, you know, and adapt to those and recover from those. So to that point, you know, what do you do with nutrition? I think you have to think about it kind of in the same way. Um, you're not drastically really changing how you eat, assuming you've, you know, eaten a healthy diet and health had a healthy perspective on, you know, nutrition and fueling. Um, but it's integrating it, it's integrating it with the training. So timing is a big thing. Um, if you've been not so great about your recovery nutrition, like, you know, really dialing that in close to the end of your session. Um, if you have done a ton of fasted training or like high fat diet, um, you know, those, that type of eating won't serve you as well. Um, as you get older, you have to really, you know, time your carbohydrate intake 
with the intensity of the session. Um, and yeah, just, you know, think about yourself as a system and really optimizing everything with your strength, with your training, with your nutrition and being very intentional with all that. You know, that's a great point. And uh, here's one of the things I, I always kind of preach in that, that older athlete mistakes or, or errors are more costly. Mm -hmm. Like when you were 20, you might've come home from a hard ride, didn't eat well, went out, hang out with some friends and whatever, never really got recovery. Before you go to bed, you eat a bag of Doritos the next morning. You're like, Hey, I'm ready to go. Right. You can, you can withstand that. As we get older, when you make a mistake like that, like you forget your nutrition, you don't do your breathing exercise, you do something, the tail, the price of that gets a little longer right? That might take two days if you don't do post-nutrition and don't get it right, whatever, in, before you're back on. So you need to reduce the errors in your approach if you want maximal performance. And we don't want to turn into training robots, but getting some of the good basics and just being consistent with them is so important. Yeah. In yeah. strength, in nutrition, in training. It's so important yeah. you put them together because those errors are costly. Yeah. I know I'm going to get a ton of questions on this. So I'm just going to elaborate for a second on the nutrition piece. So yes, like, um, even though your resting metabolic rate, you know, decreases a little bit every year, um, offsetting that with your, with your training and with your strength training, both, you know, can help minimize that, but you, we still have to be conscious of energy balance. So yes, there might be some decrease in overall calorie needs and the best way to figure that out, honestly, is keep weighing yourself continuously. Like that, that weight creep that happens to anyone, you know, can happen without you um, even realizing it if you're not kind of staying on top of that. So I don't necessarily advocate weighing yourself every day, but, you know, at least a couple of times a month just to kind of, you know, see that trend and make sure, you know, maybe you need to decrease your fat intake a little bit or, you know, evaluate how much of your diet is coming from processed high calorie foods, but really instead, you know, so cleaning up there, um, or reducing there, but emphasizing carbohydrate intake around your training. So general carbohydrate needs, I always say range from three to 12 grams per kilogram per day. Um, you know, as you get older, maybe it's three to eight grams per kilogram per day, because you have less muscle mass. Um, or you're doing less high intensity training, but that doesn't mean that you need to constantly be on a low carb diet, which I see so many, you know, older athletes trying to do, they're thinking that the carbs are making them gain weight and that's not the case. So evaluate your total energy intake, energy balance, but really still be intentional for your higher intensity days. Or if you're leading up to a race that needs a carb load, you still need eight grams per kilogram of carbohydrate per day. Um, you might need more protein. So maybe, you know, you've tried really hard all your life to get hundred grams of protein a day, you know, 20 grams at a time, but in order to help the recovery process, in order to help, um, avoid the muscle protein breakdown, um, in order to help improve mitochondrial protein synthesis, maybe you need 35 to 40 grams at a time. So at some point, you know, you're increasing carbs to support training, you're increasing protein, but to keep the energy balance in check, so you're not gaining weight every year, you might have to come down on the fat intake um, and the processed foods that have a lot of, you know, that are very calorie dense. So, I, yeah. I, I think along with that, 
I'm not such a huge fan. I've gone away almost from, from weighing more than once every three weeks um, for two reasons. One is I've seen a number of the master's athletes, and these are specifically, they've just started with strength training. The scale creeps up and they start to freak out. Like, oh, my watts per kilo is going down. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, but you're climbing faster. Yeah. How does that work? That doesn't work like that. Well, if you're more efficient, more effective, you can. Uh, on Amazon, you can find these. These are um, anthropometric uh, uh, tapes that you can use to actually measure. So there's a spring-loaded, so you can't cheat. And I think we've all seen the trainer in the gym who like ties it real tight. They're like, oh, look, you lost an inch. You're like, dude, that's not how it works. Uh, these run around 15 bucks. Uh, on Amazon, maybe 17 now with inflation. I have no idea. I haven't checked in a couple months, but these are a great thing to do. So one week you use the scale, another week you use this. And then if you'd like to, the third week, you can use home skin pulled calipers. Now there's an asterisk with that last one where the skin pulled caliper depends on the measurer's skill. So they have to do lots and lots and lots to be accurate. But if you do that and you track that one week each, so you weigh yourself on the scale, let's say Monday and Thursday, and then you do the anthropometric measurements Monday and Thursday of the next week, and then you use the skin fold calipers the next week. Over the course of three months, you get a much better picture of what's actually happening in your body. Uh, just with the scale, uh, even with the BIA, you know, the, I think it's just the athletes that we're dealing with nowadays, I, I, I hope you both will agree with this. They're much more well-informed than those that even five years ago, but it's also harder because we have to balance things. So just looking at the scale makes it difficult. Uh, one other thing was uh, to your point, Namrita, is, is changing the protein intake. There's actually a couple of research articles over starting back in 2011 that uh, protein intake can actually help with gene expression. So if you've been doing in 20 gram sittings for the last two or three years, try 40. And there are a number that are coming out that 39 is the magic number, right? And that's a very small sample set, but you have to kind of experiment on yourself where you can find that balance. And I think a lot of the performance gains that some of our more seasoned masters athletes are looking for can be just exactly what you talked about, eight grams of carbohydrate, Look at the timing, number one, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's still going to work for you the same or just as good. And two is uh, the dosing of the protein. So 40 grams in one sitting when you first started, I can attest to you're like, wow, how am I ever going to finish this? After about two weeks, you get used to that and you're able to balance that. And personally, I've seen three or four athletes when we've gone to 40, you know, their eyes jump out of their head and about second, third week, their carbohydrate timing in and around their riding actually gets way better because they're having more stable blood glucose levels. You know, now that we have the constant glucose monitors, we're seeing that after they have the high protein and now their performance is getting way better. Um, so just two things to, to kind of share. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point um, on everything. And especially the weight it's um, you know, when we, when we track weight, it's so there's so much going on. And even when we get older, you know, our total body water is going to decrease. So, you know, the hydration is another piece Um, but when we weigh on the scale, we don't always get the full picture of what's going on inside. And so, you know, not letting that kind of get in your head and, and get frustrating, but, you know, stay focused on doing the right things, looking at other measures of success and, you know, just a kind of a check-in and validation. Are you doing things, things right? Are you climbing faster? Are you, you know, lifting more weight? Are you sleeping better? Is your um, glucose better controlled? Are you losing inches? Like those are all other things, you know, other measures of success, I would say, as a training athlete. Um, So I guess, you know, we had so many questions and kind of the underlying 
thread or tone of them is can we still perform and reach personal best as we get older and you're both nodding yes and I totally agree um or at least I think you're saying yes so how I mean what are I think we've talked about integrating and being you know really aware of the foundational principles like the four legs of the stool and you know integrating how they all work together but um what what have we missed Tim anything to add yeah I mean let's talk output like great overview hopefully everybody that's been listening is like oh that's cool I understand that wow I didn't quite think about it that way and you've got a lot of insight what do we do about it Mm-hmm. Like, what do we do from a training sense, from a strength sense, from like, what are like me, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, what are my key bullets? Like, what would I tell you the 40 plus the 50 plus pick your age um, athlete? So here's my training advice. If you're like overarching advice, you should be applying to plan. Number one, stay consistent. Never underestimate. We know it's the foundation of all, all our base camp training, right? Consistency. I preach it all the time. But if you want to fight decline over age, over time, stay consistent with a organized, semi-organized. It doesn't have to always be heavy structure and whatever training regime. The more you stay consistent in the newer research, as we're looking at athletes from their 20s to the 70s are showing that this is absolutely the key. Like you can't train in your 20s and 30s, take your 40s, 50s and 60s off and come back and get it all back. Not going to happen, right? You got to stay consistent, both big picture and, you know, a decade and small picture a year. And it doesn't take a tremendous amount. It just takes consistency. Two, to me, when we really start talking about application, this idea of slower recovery probably is the main impact that you have in your everyday training because your brain's going to want something else. Your brain doesn't want to get old. And I'm not talking about the cells in there. I'm talking about how we see ourselves, right? And you're like, I can do this. I can get that extra hard day. I can do one more interval. I think you have to reprogram and understand that that is bad. I mean, I don't want to make it like scary, but that's bad. You're Because you're just doing work that you're not going to adapt to. You're, it's more than you're capable So you need to find what I call your rest rhythm as you age. And it might change every five years. You know, it might be a little different and very dependent on your nutrition, your strength program, your, your, your sleep pattern, which we haven't talked about much in here yet. So you need to find that if you're 50 plus, I don't want more than two hard days a week, typically, and hard being, let's call it tempo and above, even though tempo can qualify as hard, but anything, you know, just generally to put it in your brain, because people go, well, I'm not doing high intensity intervals. I'm just doing five times FTP targeting. That has a cost, right? And that cost is fatigue. So you need to find that rhythm of hard and then, you know, easier rides and what you can handle and what's the rhythm. I, with my older athletes, what I would often do on the second hard day or because a lot of times what athletes describe as hard is, well, I'm going to do interval work on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Oh yeah. And I'm going to that group ride Wednesday and that other group ride Thursday, but you know, we don't go too hard, just a couple of town line sprints and things like that. Now you're trying, you wonder why, right? You got to be more cognitive of that because your recovery rate just isn't going to be there if you go to that group ride and other things. So you got to find your balance and the group ride could be your hard day and go harder. That's fine. But find that rhythm. Um, Three, I'm going to steal Menachem's thunder. 
you've got to maintain a good balance of lean muscle mass. You have to, if you want to continue to perform late in life and be healthier, you've got to maintain that lean muscle mass. And that's a combination of good nutrition, good structured exercise, and some form of strength training. You know, and when you say strength training, we're not, as we all know, not talking about sitting in a gym and throwing up barbells and things like that. There's lots of ways you can skin that cat, but you need it in there. You need to maintain that lean muscle mask. One of the things that's so funny, sidebar, <laughs> when you look at indicators of heart disease, your VO2 max is the number one correlated, not your cholesterol, right? Not other things that you would think that the medical field talks about but your vo2 max so the more you preserve that the more you keep it over 40 for men 35 for women you you reduce your heart disease chances in half and then finally um convince this thing that it's okay to be older if you want to be older and stronger listen to your body more so what I start to say there is like, I will prescribe, let's say I'm prescribing a hard Tuesday and a hard Saturday for an athlete. On Saturday, I'll do an alternate workout, a check down. Like if you're warming up and you're still carrying some fatigue, and if you're honest with yourself, do the easier ride. That is okay because you are more subject to you know, your acute recovery, that short-term fatigue, the tail out I'm talking about sometimes might be two days, sometimes might be four. If you had a really crushing, deep, high intensity workout on Tuesday, it might take you now three or four days or five, depending on how good you're at recovery to really get there. So this thing has to say, it's okay to get older because if I can accept that, I'll have some limitations. I can get older and faster. But you got you to gotta convince yourself that's okay. And also understand in that recovery rate that you're going to have one of the things that happens when you get a little, you honestly, you might have a couple more bad days in your training cycle. Just get over it. I mean, that's the slower recovery. When we're 20, we don't have that many bad days and you kind of just bounce around and you bounce back like a rubber ball the next day and you're all right. We might have, and we have to deal with a little more volatility in our feelings in our training weeks and our training cycles, you have a little more up and down. The better you deal with your recovery, the hopefully the more you'll control that, but they're gonna be there. It's just part of the process. So those are my kind of combination of tips and training. I have a question, follow-up question for you on that. And I'm putting my base camper hat on because someone's gonna ask this after. So in base camp, let's say, you know, well, with the rhythm, we've got, you know, hard workout Tuesday, hard workout Thursday, hard workout Saturday. It, that's just the rhythm moderately hard to hard, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, if you are struggling with fatigue um, and you know the simplest way to define that is you just can't hit, you know, you're dialing the bias down or you're, you just can't hit the interval target for, for Thursday. You know, in your head, you might need more rest because of everything you just said. And you know, you need to listen to your body. Um, how, like, what do you do? People always ask, how do I know when to push through or to just bail on it and ride home and ride endurance or just, you know, go lay on the couch? What do you say to that? You know, it, uh, probably the the toughest question in, in, in endurance training, right? It really is so hard because you have to accept one fact. 
we're really bad at that type of self-evaluation. Like we all are. Everyone, us three are probably as bad as everybody else listening in general, even though it's like we're here as the experts. In that moment of decision-making, we're really bad at it because we want the best out of ourselves, right? And that can sometimes put a real challenging uh, uh, barrier into us making decisions. I would say, depending on your amount of training and everything else, you default to the easier, you default to the rest. Here's why. If you're going to be wrong, the impact of more is much more negative than the impact of less. I say this all the time in training, and it takes people a while to really wrap the heads your head around it. Always play the odds. A good coach, there is no perfect. Nothing will be right every single time. As a coach, all you got to do is keep increasing the odds of success. So I would check down. And one of the things we're doing in next year's program, we did it in Basecamp 2022-23, the one that just went by, and it's going to be more prevalent in our training, as, as Nimrita and Menachem knows. That Thursday, that, that, that third quasi-hard day, we're going to have that check down option available. We're going to make it more prevalent that you can even join the, the Zwift group rides and just shut off the workout, just ride in, in sim mode and just do his own two day and check down. So there's less pressure on people to not make that selection. So I think really the answer is error on the side of less. If you're not sure, you actually probably already know the answer. You're just not accepting it. Yes. Yeah. Menachem, what do you say about strength? So, you know, we also get that question a lot. I'm really sore or I went really hard on Tuesday and, you know, today's a strength day. Like, how do you, how do you adjust? I mean, I know your strength program is inherently a little bit different and it's not, you know, heavyweights all the time, but what do you say to that? Um, so it, it really isn't. And, and, you know, the honest truth is, is that uh, we have to meet let me rephrase that. We have to think about where each individual is. And when we have a one-on-one coaching uh, relationship, it's a lot easier, but a lot of folks have a certain preconceived notion of what strength training is. They think, and I've lived long enough now and been in the fitness field long enough that I've seen the pendulum swing now from one full revolution from one side to the other. Um, that is back when I started, bodybuilding was a big thing. This is uh, early 90s that became a, a big thing where you had Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had just gotten into film and people wanted to become, you know, the, he says on his documentary um, that uh, he was told, you'll never be in film because you're too big, you're too big. And then society came and accepted that. And we went through this thing where it was aerobics, aerobics, aerobics. Everybody remains remembers Jane Fonda with her at-home videotapes and her interesting clothing, although I'm sure she'd have her own thoughts on the leggings today, right? Uh, so we went through that. We got into bodybuilding. We got into CrossFit. And now we're going back and yoga, sorry, then CrossFit. Now we're going the other way. The strength training for performance is none of these. It's a little bit of all, right? So we like to think about, uh, well, if I don't feel that good, I'm going to skip strength training and do stretching. And stretching still has an effect. It has a role for you, but it's not the answer. And this is where it comes down to kind of what Tim said. Uh, I would say it's not up here. It's actually the ego and being able to check the ego at the door. Right? <laughs> I was trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> so it was what you said. Um, and I think a lot of us, as we get older, and this is a, a, I have this circled and scribbled here as you guys were talking, is um, it comes down to a circle of competence. And this is where it's tough as a lifelong endurance athlete, where our circle of competence, what we truly understand about our bodies changes. And what we think is true one year can change drastically to the next year. 
And this is where strength training for performance flows across all of this. And that is we're focused on breathing, postures, positions, and the ability to do the exercise from the right place. So to bring it back on, on point to the, the question here, Nimrita, strength training should be done consistently two days a week. We, we need that. But we also want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on how am I feeling? What's my perceived exertion? So I, I think at this point, a number of base campers have experienced this, where you have a week where you're rocking and rolling. You did the high intensity ride on Tuesday. You feel really good. You come into your strength training. Things feel light. You're like, I am Thor, God of thunder. And then the next week you come in, you're like, wow, this 10 kilo weight feels really heavy today. And you're not willing to meet yourself and give yourself that margin of safety. And that's where the strength training needs to change what we're seeing also in the mass media right now. It's like, oh, you've got to do heavy or sets of 10. Well, not really. You need to do just enough. And that's the, the goal is leave yourself a little bit of margin of safety. Uh, and to put a little bow on it, your last set should be your best set on the day where you go, oh, wow, that felt amazing. That felt way stronger, way more stable, well, way easier. Because now we have literally rewritten your software that you're able to move better. And when you do all this, it really complements the high intensity days in that you're going to drive better neuromuscular adaptations. You're going to get a hormonal spike uh, with both estrogen, testosterone, HGH, all this fun stuff, as long as you're sleeping well. And now we've bolstered those second two uh, legs of the stool that we spoke about, where the foundations are much better. Um, so bullet point, strength training is a must twice a week, but for performance, we're not looking to get tired or be blasted at the end, so to speak, as a kid say these days, uh, but you should have your last set be your best. And some days that means you just do one set at an RPE of seven, whether it's a hundred pounds or 50 pounds. Great. Awesome takeaways. I guess I'm going to add a few nutrition bullets um, just to kind of round out the <clears throat> action actionable items here. Um, with on, you know, thinking about fatigue and um, under recovery, let's say, I think, you know, so many people, again, are afraid of um, gaining weight or, you know, the they're attributing the increase in body fat to carbohydrates. So one real, be really aware of how restrictive you are in your diet. If you constantly are, you know, avoiding eating, eating certain types of food, um, or decreasing portion sizes, or just avoiding eating in general, you probably are falling to some degree in the low energy availability realm but that's only going to make your problem worse even as an older athlete you know we talk about a loss of menstrual cycle et cetera, you know in the younger athletes but even as an older athlete you're contributing to the loss of muscle mass if you're constantly in low energy availability so you know with the sarcopenia and and you know decrease in muscle function and mass if you're not eating enough to, to actually, you know, build more proteins and more fibers and, and to recover from these hard days. Um, everything that we're saying to do, if you're not eating enough to support that, none of it's going to happen. So really, you know, think about that specifically with the protein, with the carbohydrate and the timing. Um, so three to eight grams of carbs per kilogram per day, depending on how long or hard your training session is. Um, 20 to 35 grams of protein, you know, four to five times a day, emphasizing, you know, evenly spread out, emphasizing before you go to bed, emphasizing the protein intake after your ride, all of those things can help. 
make your protein high quality. So, you know, whey protein, dairy, animal proteins are all high in leucine content. If you're eating a plant-based or vegetarian diet, that's okay. You just have to maybe eat more of the foods that contain the leucine. Add a little bit of carbohydrate to your recovery drink. Don't just focus on the protein. Um, you know, have a planned drinking strategy. If you're going out in the summer months and, you know, you've got a long ride with a bunch of climbing in it and, you know, you're trying to rely on your thirst. Well, if your thirst mechanism is blunted as you get older, make sure when we were talking about oxygen delivery again, you know, we're so concerned with VO2 max, hydration is a huge factor in plasma volume and oxygen delivery. So if you're chronically dehydrated, again, you're not doing yourself any favors. So maybe think about having a planned drinking strategy instead of just winging it. Um, creatine and omega-3s are two other supplements that I think, you know, have some evidence to help again, as you know, to use Tim's point of increasing the odds of, you know, success. Um, it's kind of how supplements work. I mean, they may or may not have, uh, a significant effect on you, but there's enough evidence to show that they could be beneficial. So two to five grams of creatine a day, two to five grams of omega-3 fatty acids a day could also help with some of the, um, you know, adaptations, the improvement in recovery, the reduction in inflammation, et cetera. Anything to add before we move on? Oh, that's actually three groups of powerful points. Yeah. Just saying, and that was some great great i mean if you make these three work together like if you listen to what was just here and it's my opinion and maybe i'm biased <laughs> significant keys and secrets to achieving you know performance at 40 plus 50 plus so i wow that was great to listen to for me mm, i totally agree thanks um i think you know ultimately before we go on to answer we have a ton of really good questions yeah. um but I, I hear a lot in kind of the tones of everything we're saying is we want to train smarter and not harder. And that's sometimes a hard thing to grasp because, you know, in endurance sports, sometimes like pain is, is welcome. And it seems like that's the answer to break through to, you know, to getting faster and getting stronger, but we're saying train smarter, not harder. Right. Yeah. And I would add train simple too. I mean, your brains are wired to accept complexity. Like you want to literally move to like a complex answer is always going to be a better answer. You have a natural inclination to think that in your brain, fight that simple answers implemented with high consistency and excellence are always a better solution. In my opinion, when it comes to training and, and that's one of the traits that we all share and bring into base camp. So I love it. Yeah. All right. You guys good with going on to questions? Yeah, ready. The panel is ready. All right, panel. Um, so the first one is actually coming from our previous episode, the art and science of intervals. And I thought it was cool. Someone, you know, had a follow-up question and it totally is like in line with what we're talking about today. So he says, as a master's athlete, I'm turning 60. Is there a need to incorporate regular VO2 max intervals, even in the conditioning phase? So I think he's bought some of the foundation plans, uh, maybe been part of base camp and, you know, it's more sub threshold, a lot of, um, aerobic zone two uh, tempo type of work. So how, you know, should uh, an older athlete alter that at all with adding in um, some VO2 max? If so, how and how often? Tim, I'm going to throw that one to you. Uh, sorry. I, we should always do some anaerobic work capacity 
during the off season so that system doesn't decline. You're really in a quasi maintenance mood mode. And why I say quasi maintenance, it's gonna come down some. You're you know, total oversimplification, but your aerobic anaerobic system, when you work on one, they're a little bit of a teeter tire. Put a lot of focus on one and it increases, but the other will go down a little bit. Um, I typically build into all of my training one uh, above threshold effort, which you could call VO2 max tends to be what we'll call those intervals um, every 10 to 14 workouts. There are some of our training plans that have longer extended base training time frames. The first eight weeks might not have any, cause that's really just kind of getting up and running or first six weeks might not have any, but then you'll pretty consistently see whether it's the, the base camp community program, whether it's the, you know, base camp training plans or whatever, you'll see that one higher intensity training every 10 to 14 days as a master's athlete. Should you increase that? It depends. You got to defer to that to some degree. Everything is a cost benefit analytic. So the reality is that's probably just enough to maintain. Um, I probably wouldn't add more if you were doing a quality strength training program in association with that, right? Like the best answer is one higher intensity day, every 10 to 14 workouts and a quality strength training program working together. That will give you enough in the base foundation. As you move on towards a more performance orientated training, there are more reasons where you want, would obviously potentially want to do more. Okay. Um, Menachem, there's a lot of, you know, time crunched athletes. So one of the questions is how, from a time perspective, how to consider balancing strength training versus, you know, time on the bike. So if I have 10 hours a week, that's, that's my max. How do we um, prioritize? It depends on the time of year that you're in, but essentially it comes down to, uh, we want around two to two and a half hours in the weight room. And, and this is going to go against what you're seeing right now in popular media. And that is the, the two days a week, the workouts are going to change as you go through the year. So I, this is borrowed from Tudor Bamba. He has the five stages of, of, uh, adaptation to strength training. So you have uh, anatomical adaptation where you're just doing lightweights, high reps. You're just learning the movements. You're kind of unwinding yourself from all the stuff you were doing on the bike, the lots of hours during the, the season. And then from there, the loading and the repetitions and the rest periods are going to change. And that's where out of those 10 hours, uh, and I've seen this time and again with literally every single master's athlete that I've ever worked with, with strength and on bike, when we decrease their ride hours and we go from a general strength training program where it's about looks or a, following a bodybuilder approach and we build them towards performance, people look, feel, and move better off the bike. And when they get on the bike, they just, they have more repetitions in them because they're more efficient. The hard part for this is, is as you go through the year, it's going to go counter. So uh, as we get into the high ride season, so we're recording this in June, almost July, this is when a lot of master's athletes need to lift heavy weights, but it's only one, maybe two sets with five to seven minutes rest in between. Their total time in the strength training is about 90 minutes in a week. So two 45 minute sessions. So out of those 10 hours, you're out on the road eight and a half the challenge is when you're in the weight room and you're you're doing these heavy weights, again, as Tim said, up here, you've got to convince yourself, hey, this rest is important. I've got to give myself the ability to, to pause. So taking an hour, and a, uh, an hour and a half to two and a half hours throughout the year, 
you do this consistently, the results are phenomenal. And, and honestly, I've had two or three athletes over the years say, I'm never going back to not strength training at least two hours a week because of the results it's given me. But we can't just shove as much strength as, as you want. It's got to be more balanced with careful rest periods, as well as having the nutrition to complement that as well. Yeah, I think people are gonna have to replay that a couple of times because it's so important. And like, again, counter to what I think a lot of us would tend to want to do. Um, so this is an interesting one. And, you know, we say it all the time when we talk about planning your transition period or, you know, after your full race season, taking, taking a break before you start training again for the next season. Um, so Tim, you know, we talk about maybe needing more rest throughout the week, but with the transition period and the off season break off the bike, an older athlete, we say needs less time during that period. So, you know, maybe a week versus two to three weeks. Why yeah. is that? Well, it's counterintuitive, right? Which seems to be a certain amount of themes that we're building. You would think as you get older, you're like, but I'm older and I need more time off. Here's the reality, right? Training has both acute and chronic impact. And when we think about training, when we think about training load, like how much we train, to continue to have gains, you need to be progressive. You need to train a little more, a little more, a little more, right? So that you'll keep progressing to some degree. The problem is as we age, our rate of training load increase, we have lesser ability to sustain that rate, like how much we can ramp up that training week to week, cycle to cycle, right? If we go too quickly, if we take on too much increase, too much progression, it's pretty counter-effective. It literally will just, it's a recipe for going slower. So we can only take, and let's give it a number, a measurement of chronic training load that the, the classic training peaks performance management measurement. We should is uh, over 50 plus three to five CTL TSS per day gains over the course of each week is a pretty good target. Maybe closer to five if you're 50, maybe closer to three if you're 65. So just you need that gentle uptake rate because your recovery is slower and it takes you a little more time to adapt to that. So in reality, you have to have that timing. So basically simply said, like when I was 20, I could take a month off jump in and go from riding zero hours to 20 hours and then be like, do that for six weeks and I'm all caught up. Like my, my CTL is as high as it was at the end of the season and I'm not that exhausted. You can't do that at 50 plus because the exhaustion rate of quickly trying to catch up like that so interferes with adaptation because you're not recovering, you're not allowing enough for recovery time. You're typically, when you have those higher rates, you're simply non-functionally overreaching. You're kind of doing the work, but you're not really getting any faster. The cost is too high. So rest a little shorter, even though I'd, yeah, I'd like to see more just from an overall. But the reality is if you rest longer, trying to build back up the cost of that, you just push the cost down the road and it's higher. Mm. So a little shorter rest, little slower ramp rate. That's how you manage it better. This this is some, um, it's not really related, but I'm going to go to this one next. Um, we do have a fair amount of athletes who are coming into the sport at an older age. So this particular question is I'm coming into cycling after the age of 60 in reference to being able to compete with the fastest age group winners, 
So I like the competitive fire here. She's already wanting to compete. How much is lost or gained by either having ridden for many years or being fresh from not having those years of strain on your body? Um, I want to make one point and then I'll have maybe both of you answer this. Um, so many people just ride and train without purpose for years and years and years. Um, something that I think is very cool and unique about the base camp program is that we are really decreasing that learning curve. So if you are new to the sport, spend a few years learning like this, decrease your learning curve, you know, do everything right from the beginning. And I think you'll be surprised in how you can catch up, you know, versus someone who might have been training and riding for years, but not doing it right um, or not doing it as effectively, I guess, um, you know, from the strength and the nutrition and the purposeful training and paying attention to rest. So when it's time to go hard, go hard. When it's time to rest, rest. And listening to the coaches and the advice, even just in this podcast, let alone, you know, coming back to base camp year after year, I think that you will be surprised in what you can do from a competitive standpoint. Um, Tim, what do you have to add there? I think that's actually really well said. Um, the biggest barrier, well, the athlete who's been training all along has an advantage. They'll typically have a higher physiological efficiency. They'll have a higher base FTP. You know, they might be stronger or weaker than you, but their FTP is more developed. Their VO2 max is more developed. And that's just training over time a chronically gained advantage, meaning they've been training in a longer term cycle. The question you should be asking yourself, and Demarita just touched on it really well, is how fast can I catch up? That could be a decade if you do it wrong for a while, because you need to hone right in on the right things, because there is no shortcut for getting to us. It's going to take you two to three years to get to a point where you're physiolog your, your efficiency and your vo2 max and your threshold that it shouldn't have said ftp really your, your your lactate thresholds are more developed to a point where you're competitive now you might be so much more naturally talented you could be competitive right out the bats but it's going to take you two to three years to really begin to maximize your potential get one of those years wrong now it's five years because you're gonna have to fix it the next year and start building again right so it's so worth investing in shortening that curve but the person who's been training and been consistent has a natural advantage. It just is a reality as endurance sports. We just, we carry those into our performance, those extra years, that consistent training over time. Yeah. Menachem, what, what would you say from a, like off the bike perspective and training, like how do you decrease that time? Um, Honestly, the, the, the first point, your point of, of doing something like base camp uh, is 100% spot on. You learn how to do it correctly because a lot, exactly what you said, Namrita, a lot of people are training, but really they're just riding. They're, they're kind of floating as they go through. Uh, but I have three main things here that you can do, um, both for on bike and off bike. Uh, one is going back to what Tim said uh, a little bit earlier in this uh, uh, conversation, and that is you know, it's better to do a little bit less than a little bit too much. You're able to have a bigger cup, so to speak. So you're not splashing water out or emptying it completely. Number two is uh, instead of doing, thinking more is more, uh, invest one to two hours a week in learning how to ride your bike. 
learn how to climb, learn how to break, learn how to use your gears properly. It is amazing, you know, uh, as well as cornering. I know that's something that a lot of us as masters athletes think, oh, we got this. But for someone coming into the sport a little bit later, learning how to handle your bike and ride, the skill of riding is such a huge advantage over people who've been riding with bad habits for years. And the last thing is uh, looking at your training uh, from a well-rounded perspective, meaning what are your superpowers that you're bringing? What sports did you play? What training do you have? And how can we utilize that to help you excel in the sport? Now, notice none of those are oriented around strength training, and that's because um, I think a lot of people coming into the sport, there's so much to learn already that learning strength training for performance can be a little overwhelming. But if you do have the capacity to do it, uh, that would be the fourth thing, but those would be the first three is learn how to do it right. Learn actually how to ride your bike. You know, that includes a bike fit. And then third is, uh, uh, again, just making sure that uh, you're spending the time to think, what are my powers? What what do I have a good understanding of? Mm, yeah, good answer. Here's one on the warm up. Why does it seem like I need a longer warm up um, as I get older? Um, I would say because you do, you have, you know, as you, what, if you think about um, what is warming up, you, your body's going through all the energy systems before it can reach, you know, steady state um, of oxygen delivery and utilization. And so all those kinetics are going to change um, as you get older due to, you know, changes in the enzymes and the fiber types and how you're making energy and, you know, the efficiency at, at which that's happening. Um, the delivery of, of oxygen through blood flow could be less, or it could be altered the way it's like hitting different parts of your body. So, um, you absolutely want to consider, you know, dialing in a warm up that works for you. Um, it could be longer than what you're used to. It could be a little bit more intense than you're used to. So, you know, in base camp, we have the standard warm up that I don't know exactly how long it is, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but it has, you know, one minute uh, pretty hard with, you know, higher cadence to get the blood flow going. Um, I think just, you know, getting, if you want to think about like priming all the energy systems before you go do your ride, you can kind of um, just find an efficient and effective warm up strategy for you. Um, Tim, anything to add there? No, I agree. Okay. <laughs> it just does. Cool. All right. Um, so here's another one. What are the benefits of cross training to the older cyclists, particularly maintaining bone health? Um, how intensive does it need to be? How often? Um, yeah, just kind of generally speaking, cross training. Menachem, what do you say? Uh, I would say it, it definitely needs to be year round. I, I, at this point, I, I kind of chuckle when people say oh, I'm doing strength training because I want bone health and how often are you? Oh, I do it December until March. That's like saying that you train for the tour de France from January to March, and then you just had enough fitness. Um, so really when it comes to, to bone health, uh, and this is where, uh, again, uh, strength training for performance really goes, uh, counter to what you're seeing right now. Um, when we're talking about bone health, we, we primarily have to think, uh, about the ability of the spine to bear loads and a lot of cyclists are taking way too heavy stuff. I mean, I have seen a direct incidence increase of back pain patients coming to me that have created their own injuries from going into the weight room, trying to move heavy stuff because they want, and they tell me, well, it can't be my bones because it's good for my bones. Like it takes time and in an energy, high energy sport, 
uh, and this is the the second part of it, is in a high energy sport like cycling or triathlon, where you're out there pushing the limits or moving towards endurance, uh, your nutrition and your sleep have to be on point. You can't shorten it. So adding strength training on top of poor sleep patterns and poor nutrition is not going to help you. Now, when it comes to strength training, uh, the intensity that you would need throughout the year, and again, year round minus maybe two weeks off, but I agree with Tim's point earlier of, of taking a shorter rest period because the ramp rate needs to be lower. Uh, you really want to make sure that you're training in a, a perceived exertion on a scale of one to 10 of five, six, and seven overall. So kind of light, medium, and medium plus. And as long as you're training in that realm and you're consistent with it, you'll get the adaptations that you're looking for. I always hear, you know, people thinking adding, mixing in something like running to stimulate or to have like weight bearing activity, you know, for bone health, if you're primarily a cyclist and you have been all your life, but I don't think it really works like that. I think Menachem, what you said, um, you know, with the, with the sleep and the nutrition, the impact of that is huge. Um, and then, you know, a proper strength training program. I wouldn't say that you need to go out and start running. Absolutely not. I don't think that's going to help. I think for a um, lot of cyclists that causes more injuries than yes. help. <laughs> that's exactly like, what I was going to say. It's yeah, typically their structures are way out of position. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. So focus, focus on, on the basics. Um, here's another one. Uh, I don't know if it's aging or just life, but I used to be an anaerobic machine, loving hard intervals and sprints. And recently I feel like I've lost my top end. I, it could be because I'm getting close to 54, but I just don't have the motivation to go really hard. What is it aging or just temporary? Hmm. I can tackle that one, right? Because this is, this is going to get a little nerdy and, and very complex in the physiological sense. So in your brain, you have this complex neurological event happening that actually wants to stop you from going so hard and suffering every day. It only kicks in usually around 40 and it gets stronger in your 50s and 60s. And you know what they call it? Wisdom, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's this part of thing that happens. And I totally promise you that one of the hardest challenges you have as you age right? Is just this. You are not alone in your question. We get wiser and we start thinking about like, wow, this really hurts. Why, why did, why am I not a golfer? You know, why didn't I take a ping pong or something else? You're in a sport that has a relationship that suffering is some part of it. I think two things, honestly, in dealing with it, it happens to everybody and, and you're not alone. And I find it is one of my biggest challenges of training. High intensity days just take a little more uh, mental strength, both in a prep and an execution level. I have to commit to them more because that wisdom in the back of my head is saying, really, <laughs> we're doing this again, you know? <laughs> so it gets harder. The advice I would give you though, we tend to think about training or exercise as a stress and you adapt to stress, right? You, you apply that stress, your body goes under strain and you adapt. That's not just physiological, that's psychological also. If you take long breaks off from higher intensity training, it is harder to get back into that mindset. You get used, and I know this is an oversimplification, but you do get used to that type of suffering. It becomes more tolerable if you practice it, just like anything else. It's a stress you're introducing to you. And the, the reality is that's setting off so many little warning signals in your brain that you want to do less, that you're more apt to quit. You're more, and you got to fight that some, and it's just really a matter of just being tough. But 
if you stay consistent with a certain dosage, depending on the time of year, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, actually it makes it more tolerable. You'll adapt to that strain. Oftentimes people will say this when they're older, like when I was 20, I couldn't wait to get back to intervals. Now, if I take long time off of doing intensity, I don't want to go back. <laughs> Wisdom, right? We've gotten a little smarter. Oh, that's going to hurt. I don't want to do it. But the reality is you've got to push through that startup. You got to keep a certain amount of it in your training. And I would add this final point. Um, as we get older, we tend to use the group ride or maybe an occasional Strava segment as that intensity. That also <laughs> hurts your high intensity structure training because that's more motivational moment. You're chasing somebody up a short hail on the, on the, on the group ride or their break happens on the group ride and you're chasing it down. That's a different type of mental approach than it takes to go out and do seven times, three minute intervals, you know, and, and to be suffering deeper on your own in your own head. So you need that interval work. You need those high intensity days to keep you primed for high intensity days. Mm. Can, nice. yep. can I add to that a little bit? Um, I think having a coach to, to be accountable to that and to make sure that you're doing enough of those and also being able to pull you back is really important. I know that's, that's part of the, the, the specialty. Uh, I think of all of us here as we work with our athletes, but the other is changing your changing approach, training approaches. So um, the athlete I mentioned before, uh, it was very similar um, where essentially he had shied away from one minute, two minute, five second training and, and through our work, uh, both from the strength side, because the strength side will get you the, the firing, right? The fast twitch muscle fibers also tend to, to fall off. Are you going to be setting all time world records if you were a, a world class sprinter in your 20s? Absolutely not. We peak in our power production in our 20s, but with uh, a coach to help guide your intervals so that you're actually able to do just enough, as Tim is explaining uh, very nicely here. Uh, you can see the ability. That's also, you know, the wisdom you're also handing off to someone else to say, should I do one more or not? But the other is with the strength training. I mean, just that alone, you can see big increases. So for the athlete we mentioned before, he went from 743 watts for his five second power to 872. And again, a lot of uh, strength training, a lot of on-bike training, but when we took it and took it to performance-based strength training, we're seeing an increase there. There's another athlete from last fall where we went from uh, 648 watts to almost a thousand, 996, just with strength training and teaching him po proper positions, postures, stiffness. So the McGill crunches, the bird dogs, the, the side planks done properly, allowing the body to, to produce that power. So I think looking at from both a training perspective of, yeah, you've been strength training, but are you doing it for performance and also having someone else write your training program for you to be able to either pull you back or push you and, and changing that recovery rhythm, as we've talked about earlier, you know, maybe you do, I think Tim said uh, two every 14 days. Is that right? 10 to 14 days, something like that. Well, in the base period, I said one in every 10 to 14 days, but more once you get obviously. More. Right. But, but having someone to, to oversee that. So you're not like, oh, I need to do two a week. Like, no, 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 you don't. It's going to change. Well, I'll give you an interval. I know we're closing this, so I'll give you a closing tip. And this is an observational thing, but a strongly observed pattern. Let's call it 55 plus. One of the things that you can try to do with your high intensity, we lose, one of the things we lose when we get older is the ability to sustain a high power. Try shorter intervals. So if you're doing VO2 max and you're, you classically have gone out and done four times four minutes or five times four minutes or six times four, whatever your number is, 
try three minutes. If you're three to four is, which is more typical for most people, it's okay to go out and do two to two and a half. You might find you can hit a good number and do maybe two more intervals when all is said and done. That sustained power becomes our challenge at 55 plus. And I, at 57 now, I'm starting to shorten my intervals a little bit. And I find if I just knock like 30 seconds off uh, an interval, I could do two more intervals in the end. My overall workload can be higher at a higher number. It's that ability to really fight against the aging for the longer interval. So there's a really good take home tip for interval, high intensity interval execution. If you're normally doing your anaerobic work at, I don't know, a minute, 75 seconds, maybe even all the way out to 90 seconds, try 45, try 30, right? Or do more of it. You might be surprised at your ability to accomplish a higher training load. Yeah, that's such a good, good tip. I mean, it's all about, you know, altering and, and fitting it to where you are now. It doesn't mean that you can't still make the gains. You just have to attack it in a different way. So that's awesome. All right. Um, well, I think, gosh, we covered a ton. So I think I'm going to close it out. Uh, unless you guys have anything to add. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. For more coaching, nutrition, and strength content and information on all our coaching programs, visit us at joinbasecamp.com. Our mission at Basecamp is to empower and educate you, the athlete, and to provide a training and learning community for the seasoned racer and newer rider alike. If you like what you hear, follow us at the Basecamp Community Podcast, leave us a five-star review, and please subscribe share it with your friends. And finally, we have an awesome newsletter with tons of training and nutrition and strength tips every month. You can sign up for that at joinbasecamp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks everyone.